This is Unfinished Business, a weekly discussion show about the business end of web design and creative industries. And today is Saturday, March 1st, 2013. This is episode eight. I'm Andy Clark, and I'm joined by my co-host, the fabulous Anna Debenham. Hi, Anna. Hello. This show wouldn't be possible without our fantastic sponsors, Typecast and the Beyond Telerand Conference. With Typecast, you can quickly style type in the browser and check for readability, rendering, and beauty as you work. And Beyond Telerand, a conference and workshop event for the web community. Beyond Telerand's happening May 27th to the 29th in Dusseldorf in Germany. We'll talk more about them later in the show. And you can find all the links that we mentioned in this episode in the show notes at unfinished.bz forward slash eight. Good week. Huge week. Hey, so um, Handheld, one of our uh, fabulous sponsors from last week. Ticket sales went on sale this week. Yep, the early birds. The early birds sold out in about five minutes. I was one of those people who was hitting refresh. <laughs> It was amazing because I know the venue's pretty big and I know that uh, Craig had a certain amount of early birds that he wanted to, to sell. But I really doubt that he imagined they'd go so quickly. I know. And he even put on, I think he doubled the allocation of early birds just because they sold yeah. out so quickly. It was just, it was crazy. And then people were like, what, what just happened? <laughs> I know. And it was all because of him sponsoring this show and us talking about it, obviously. Yeah, obviously. So that's that's why people should sponsor this show, if they want to sell out within about two and a half minutes. <laughs> so what else have you been up to this week? Uh, well, on Wednesday, um, I launched the website that I've been working on for about six months. Um, it's a website for a university called Surrey. And you can have a look at that, surrey.ac.uk. And yeah, that was that was quite a stressful few days, but... It was really good to finally kind of finally launch it. I was really quite proud. <laughs> yeah, you should be. It looks really nice. I really like it. We've got such a great team there. I mean, they're so lovely and they're really smart as well. It's not often that you kind of, you get to work with an in-house team who's, who's that smart. So it was good. So did you have a launch event? Did you celebrate in some way? No, we were really, really busy. We, I mean, right, right up until the end of the day we were sort of working on tickets you know as soon as we launched it was quite a, a stressful launch as well because we had a couple of problems um with uh the intranet because uh, there's some restrictions on it and we didn't kind of we didn't expect that um but we did have a little glass of champagne which was nice oh that's good and then you were off doing something else on another podcast on thursday <laughs> yeah about 11 p.m that uh, that Wednesday, I got a, a DM from Hadie Cook, who does um, 5 by 5 with Dan Benjamin. And she asked me to cover for her on The Frequency, which is a daily podcast that they do. And so I did that. Um, I was doing that with Mike Hurley. Uh, he he does uh, 70 de Decibels, which is a, a UK-based podcast network. Okay. Um, yeah, and that was that was really fun, actually. I was... It was quite a surprise, to be honest. I wasn't offended. You went elsewhere. <laughs> no, not offended. Not in the least. <laughs> didn't mind. Didn't it take really, it. Didn't it hurt really my feelings. We, we got to talk about um, Britishisms and making cups of tea and that sort of thing. Hmm. Well, I didn't listen. 
<laughs> I got my own back on Friday though, because I was uh, I was a guest on Happy Monday with Josh and Sarah. I think that's coming out the same that's day as ours. So uh, so I did that on Friday and uh, and didn't take it at all seriously. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Is that bad? <laughs> I'm gonna have a listen to that one. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. That should be, about it. Should be out um, by the time that we push this live on Monday. Yeah. And then, of course, Responsive Day Out conference on Friday too. Yeah. <laughs> I gave a talk at a conference called Responsive Day Out in Brighton um, about game console browsers. Um, and by the end of the day, I was so tired and so hungry because I hadn't eaten or slept. And oh, it was such a relief to kind of get that week over did you get nice comments for your talk i did i was just shattered by the end of it though um, ended up missing the after party i was just so tired i followed the the tweets what was this thing with the beef cheeks hashtag where did that come um, from i think it was from the speaker's dinner um i think they had beef cheeks or something uh, i didn't go to the speaker's dinner because um i get very nervous before speaking and um so i just had a bowl of shreddies instead uh, but they had like this eight course dinner and i saw some pictures it looked really really nice um so i think that's that's where the hashtag's from oh god well i hear that uh, drew mcclellan's recorded audio and there's some video of the event too from uh, craig lockwood mm, no one told me they were doing that oh okay <laughs> it's quite annoyed so i don't know how long that's going to take to to come out but yeah. i'm looking forward to watching that i really wish that i could have come down so i've got us looking at it from the from the sidelines thinking oh <laughs> i would have brushed my hair if i knew there were <laughs> you didn't brush your hair i didn't do it i just sort of i was just so, sort of rolled so in and... rolled straight out of bed and, and onto the stage yeah <laughs> <laughs> so you were, you were talking on the frequency about tea your favorite subject yeah <laughs> What and the 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 best method for making a good cuppa? Yes, and I launched a little site today uh, called teamethod.co.uk, which is um, I'm basically poking fun at Dan Benjamin who has baconmethod.com. Okay. Um, and I couldn't get the .com, but that's all right because yeah, British and all that. Sure, I'm having a look <laughs> at it now. Let me just pull it up. Making the perfect cuppa every time is easy. Here's how. Empty the contents of your kettle and... Why must the water be fresh? Because if you've boiled it more than once, um, it loses its oxygen. Okay. <laughs> as soon as the kettle is boiled, pour a little of the water, just boiled water, into a mug, swirl it around a bit, then pour it away. This is to warm the mug. Why do you have to have a warm mug? Because um, otherwise um, it doesn't taste as good. Because. Okay. It's like having food on a cold plate. Right. Like warm food on a cold plate doesn't taste as good as when the plate's warm. This next bit freaks me out. Now add a splash of milk and a tea bag to the empty mug. Why would you put the tea bag in first and the milk? It's like, don't you put the milk in at the end? No. But then no, how you do you know how much, how much, how do you know how much milk to put in to, to how strong you want your tea to be? Cause I because I always. Because you always put the same amount in. With when you're pouring it in after you've put the tea bag in, you never know how much you've put in. But you go by the colour. It's like, oh, that's too much, or oh, that's too much. And milky. you get a nasty scum on the top. 
Well, that depends on your water, though, doesn't it? It depends on whether no, you like hard no. water, soft water. No, it's when you water. put the milk no. in after, because it scalds it. Huh. I'm going to get a lot of email about this, aren't I? Yeah, you're going to get a lot of email about this. Email somebody else, Dan. Um, <laughs> yeah, email Dan. And slowly pour the water over the tea bag. Okay, so a foot above. So, yeah, I can get that bit, because that oxygenates the tea when you hits the tea bag. I get that kind of bit. Mm. Uh, take take a tea bag and stir slowly. If there are lots of bubbles, use the tea bag to soak them up. When the colour you do get a lot of bubbles when you uh, pour it at height. Yeah. So you're brewing the tea with the milk already in it, as opposed to the other way around. Yeah. Hmm. I get a lot of people saying, "Oh no, that's only if you're doing it in. um, You know, you should only do it that way if you're doing it in uh, a teapot." Right. But. I've done, I've been making tea for like, you know, almost 20 years. And this is how, like, I used to do it milk after, but then I learned the error of my ways and I'm a convert. People just get so pernickety they about do. this kind of stuff. I they mean, really to be honest, do. you know, I'm not a kind of tea connoisseur. It's like Brendan Dawes, our friend Brendan, um, has a particular method i think for boiling an egg we yeah there is a there show. is a way for, there is a right way to boil an egg i do well, the whole um uh you meant to put it in ice cubes after you've uh after you've sort of boiled it who can be bothered with that <laughs> you want to eat the egg <laughs> but if you if you make it cold so if you run it under a cold tap after you boiled it then when you like pick all of the eggshell off it then you don't burn your fingers you don't pick the eggshell off it, you just... Oh, you just decapitate it. Well, yeah, well, absolutely. if you're having like a soft-boiled egg with soldiers or something, yeah. then, yeah, you just take the spoon and you decapitate the egg. Yeah, but then you miss, you like cut off a bit that you could eat. Well, no, but then you scoop it out the little top bit. It's not hard. <laughs> Actually, I'm just trying to think who it was that had never... I think it was our friend Satoshi from Japan who had a boiled egg when he was last visiting. And the idea of knocking the top off an egg with a spoon was completely alien to him. He was like, okay, Satoshi, this is, this is how you eat a boiled egg. The, the whole concept of soldiers completely freaked him out. <laughs> well, how do you, cause what I do is I break, I break the top, you know, I tap it on the top and then I like pick all of the little bits of eggshell off. No, you just hit it with the spoon, whack the, the, the top off completely. Sprinkle a little bit of salt and pepper because what I do is I we've got one of those pepper grinders, black pepper grinders. So what I do is I put like a tiny little bit, like a, a decent, well actually a decent pinch of sea salt mm. on the plate, and then I have what has to be five turns of the grinder to get mm. enough black pepper. Yeah, and I kind of mix the eggs, mix that up with my finger. So it's kind of, you know, salt and pepper all mixed up together. And then when I knock the top off the egg, I can just have a little pinch just in that kind of head part, and then I eat that. And then hopefully that's knocked the top so I can see the yolk. And then I'll sprinkle, you know, a bit more sea salt and a bit more pepper into the egg. Do you think everyone will know what Egg and Soldiers is? Yeah, you see, I've been doing different things on Twitter. I've been having, I think this week I had toasted over-the-hill action heroes. <laughs> Because I don't know why it's why is it always soldiers? You know, I know yeah. they line up because that's where the soldiers come from, but it's just fun to break it up. Uh, that's enough about eggs. Let's talk about our first sponsor for the week. Yeah, um, it's Typecast. Um, so, as a front end developer, I get sent a lot of Photoshop files, and when I finish mocking up a template and I show it to the designer, I often get feedback saying, 
oh, the font looks really different. And if I'd known, I would have chose something else. And that just throws a huge spanner in the works. And this is because Photoshop can't take into account different rendering engines or operating systems. Um, so some projects I've worked on, we've had, we've had to completely change the fonts because they were difficult to read in some browsers. And that's not something we could have known by looking at a Photoshop file. So it's also really difficult to try out web fonts from services like Typekit, FontDeck, Fonts.com or Google if they're not already installed on the, on the designer's system. And that makes it really difficult to, de- um, to demonstrate typography options with a client. So um, Chris Armstrong, he told me about this web app that he'd been working on to- called Typecast. And I was so happy because because uh, you know how much I go on about front end style guides. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so he asked me to take a look because it's basically a way for designers to create a typographic style guide that can be used in development. And they've added over 23,000 web fonts from all the major font services. So you can try all of them out. I mean, not every single one, because that would be insane. But Take you a while. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really good at helping you set type in a browser. And you can paste in your own content to see exactly how type is going to render when the design's implemented. And you can test all different kinds of HTML elements and apply different styles to them. And it generates a style sheet that you can paste straight into your CSS file. Or you can export it and use it to discuss type choices with clients and share a special page with your, rem- your remote clients too. It helps you make really beautiful, readable web typography. And seriously, I love designers who use Typecast because it means I don't have to waste their time asking stupid questions like, oh, uh, what's the line height here? Or what's the font size for this? There are plans available starting at $29 per month for a personal plan and $59 per month for a team plan up to three people. And there are plans for larger teams too. So go and have a look at the site. It does a lot better job at showing how it all works than I do. And you can find out more at typecast.com forward slash unfinished and they'll know we sent you. It really is a really good service. I love it. (laughs) I love playing with it, even though, you know, I'm not a designer. Um... It just makes me, it kind of makes me want to design. (laughs) So speaking of design, I've got one piece of follow-up from last week. Mm -hmm. Um, I went on a little bit of a rant, didn't I, about uh, the professional way to deal with business disputes. Yeah. And how I felt that it's important that when something happens, we deal with it in a professional way and not just immediately resort to ranting on Twitter um, and, you know, kind of sending the pitchforks out after somebody. And my resolve for that has been tested this week because I've discovered uh, a site. I was, somebody sent me an email saying, did you, did you design this site? And I took a look at it and somebody has stolen our mod illustrations from our website. Mm. Um, now the little why, biker dude. Yeah, well, actually, not the little biker dude, the fat, old scooter <laughs> dude. Um, now, obviously, I'm not going to say who it is. Uh, we've contacted the company responsible, and what I think we'll do is uh, we'll use it as a little bit of a case study yeah. to see whether or not this works. Um, so please, if you're listening to this, don't go out trying to find it. I don't want to, you know, I don't want anybody else being kind of shamed into this. this is not what I'm trying to do. But, you know, my first reaction was, I'm really angry about this. Uh, 
and you know you reach for the phone to to, to make a tweet and I pulled myself back <laughs> thinking you know no don't be such a hypocrite um let's deal with this in a certain way so um this can be a little thing that we maybe talk about week on week I'll let you know how we're doing with it and what happens yeah that, uh, but that's really so good. far um I've contacted the people responsible and Josh Clellan, the illustrator, whose copyright the illustrations are, yeah. um, has also contacted them too. Because, you know, I only have a license to use those illustrations for our website and associated materials. Yeah. Obviously, as the, uh, as the artist, Josh owns the copyright on that. So it's kind of his responsible too, his responsibility yeah. too. So I'll keep you posted, let you know how that one goes. Cool. Yeah, so our topic this week is uh, something timely, I think, um, about working at home and maybe living at work, depending on which way you deal with things. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was, I was at Winchester School of Art last week. We talked about this. Um, and I was doing a, a lecture about the lessons that we'd learned here from running a business and working from home the last 15 years. And, then all of a sudden in the news this week, we've got uh, Yahoo CEO Marissa Meyer mm-hmm. um, and her decision to stop homeworking for the guys at Yahoo and to bring everybody together so that they're all working at Yahoo offices. Um, You've written in the notes, I refuse to use the exclamation mark. I know, I hate that about <laughs> Yahoo. She doesn't put the point on the end. No, I mean, yeah, I don't think I'm the only one. So... This is the memo from the HR department. Do you want me to read this out? Yeah. I won't read the whole thing, but um, she says here, to become the absolute best place to work, communication and collaboration will be important. So we need to be working side by side. That's why it's critical that we're all present in our offices. Some of the best decisions and insights come from hallway and cafeteria discussions, meeting new people and impromptu team meetings. Speed and quality are often sacrificed when we work from home. We need to be one Yahoo, and that starts with physically being together. And this has caused a a kerfuffle (laughs) around the internet. I've seen lots and lots of people kind of linking to this and talking about this. Mm. Um, And I think that's a good subject to to talk about this week, because we both do it. We both work at home for the most part, don't we? Yeah, I mean, at the moment, um, I'm actually working more on site than I am at home. So, and, and that, that's kind of changed my opinion a bit. So I'd like to talk a bit about that. Yeah. I mean, we've been running our business. I mean, stuff and nonsense. We've been running it from home with a gap of about, I think it was about 18 months where we, we did something different and we had offices. Uh, but for the rest of the time, we've been working in one or two rooms in our house. Um, and I think it's, there's a difference. We might talk about this a little bit more later, but mm. there's a difference between running a business from home um, and working for a company that you happen to do at home. Yeah, definitely. You know, working for somebody else. I mean, I saw some, because um, I read quite a few articles on this, and um, one of the comments that people were making was, uh, if you work from home, you're less likely to get a promotion because people don't see you. And... You know, that's something I thought about. It's like, well, we don't get, really get that as freelancers. We don't kind of get promotion. And, you know, unless you, <laughs> unless you want to promote yourself, um, which sometimes I do. <laughs> I mean, I can see why people would think that. Um, I mean, going to an office every day, uh, it does make a difference in terms of, you know, the people that you work with, you know, including you 
in stuff. Mm. I mean, I know from when I was, particularly last year when I was spending quite a lot of time at client sites on regular contracts, you know, I'd be going uh, and working with people like Scottish Television. Yes. Uh, you know, one week a month. And with the best will in the world, you know, the stuff that's happening in the office uh, all the time. And when you're not there, you know, when I wasn't there for, th- for three weeks of the month, mm. you know, with the best will in the world, they can't keep you posted about everything. Yeah. Um, and you do sometimes feel a little bit left out. I remember going back up there and everything had been kind of moved around. <laughs> and it's like, oh, where's my stuff gone? You do kind of feel like a little bit of a spare part. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I know from from, from that experience and, and from others that I prefer working here. Yeah. You know, I'm, I feel comfortable working in this environment. And, you know, we've made this environment uh, to suit that. You know, we've made it so that, Everything is, you know, as we want it. But Drew McClellan, our our friend, um, Drew M on on Twitter from Perch fame, he sent us an email when we were saying that we were going to talk about this topic and made a couple of really interesting points, actually. Mm. Um, He said in this email here, our company has rented office space for the best part of 10 years, but last month we moved out and started working from home. We've got customers in different time zones and we were finding that having an office was a constraint. It felt like we should be there nine to five, but we weren't working those hours. Is working something you do or is it a place to go? Oh, and then he says you get a hundred percent more cats. Yeah. I put that in. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But he's right, isn't he? With their business. I mean, I remember Rachel saying on the show that, when she was guest hosting that week, that she was answering support requests from hospital. Yeah, mine, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Broken elbow. Um, And, you know, we all do it. You know, we're all kind of out and about in Tesco's doing some shopping or whatever, and your phone buzzes and it's a client inquiry and you just kind of bash off a three-line email, Yeah. you know, on a a Saturday afternoon. Um, Work has changed. So... I wonder whether or not this Yahoo decision takes that into account. I think as well, it's, it's, it must be very difficult for the people who say they've got families and realizing that they're going to see less of them or cats, you know, you can have hours if you like. (laughs) I'm we'll not allowed her, them in my flat. We'll put her in a box and send her down. She, I shouldn't really say that. But somebody's <laughs> going to complain. They're going to, you can't talk about putting cats in a box. Richard Branson chimed in on this subject as well. He wrote this article um, on the Virgin blog, Give People Freedom of Where to Work. We'll put links in the show notes. And he said, we, you know, we like to give people the freedom to work where they want. Working life isn't nine to five anymore. So, you know, he's saying the same thing as Drew. Companies that do not embrace this are missing a trick. And I suppose it really comes down to the type of business you are, doesn't it? Mm. Or even the type of person that you are. Because a lot of people will say, oh, I don't know how you can concentrate working from home. Um, And there are other people who say that they work better when they're at home because they've got fewer distractions. I do not know how people concentrate in an office. No, there's just... like phones constantly going off like the place that um that i've been working at has a fire alarm that goes off at like 11 o'clock every monday and it just just completely freaks me out i mean i over the course of a year i think i educated the 
people at STV that I didn't need to be included in every meeting. Mm. Um, but God blimey, do they have a lot of meetings? And I just wanted to sit there and actually get on with the work. Yeah. And when I was working on the big government contract last year as well, I was working with this other designer and, you know, fortunately nobody understood actually what I was doing. <laughs> they didn't really know what I was there for, uh, but they knew exactly what he was there for. And he was like a hub. So everybody would kind of, every time there was a meeting, they would knock on his tap on his shoulder. You know, it, the earphones on rule didn't apply. Yeah. You know, you can, they could still interrupt you when you had your earphones on. Tap him on the shoulder and go, you know, we're having a meeting about this. Do you want to come along? And off he'd go. And there's just so many distractions in uh, yeah, an office environment. Sort of how people get stuff done if they're constantly in meetings. I just could not figure it out. And I know just the general environment, you know, I, I, I like to sit here and, and focus on a problem and I have to think things through, uh, a lot, you know, my, mental processes aren't as quick as they used to be <laughs> so i have to concentrate and doing that in an environment where you know people are walking around and ah oh, nightmare couldn't do it i i find that um so i worked for a bit where my back was like basically someone else could could see my screen and i used to get so kind of self-conscious about it and i just couldn't like this is back when i was designing and i just i couldn't I couldn't design and I used to just spend so long just sort of moving pixels about. And then when I get home, I'd actually do the design and I'd do it in like two hours mm. just because I could concentrate better. I can't have anybody looking over my shoulder. We've got the office set up here where we're side by side. Mm. Um, so, you know, you can glance across and have a look at something, but it's not like, you know, we're back to back. People don't yeah. kind of come in I and I think look. office layout is a really important thing to to get to get right. Well, a few years ago, I worked with a company and their design studio was set up so that it was in part of this big open plan office, but the design team were in a little square and they had um, partitions that went around the design area, but they weren't full heights. They were kind of like, you could lean on them with your elbows height. Yeah. And the boss would come out of his office and stand with his elbows on the, these partitions and look across the design studio just you know stand there watching what people were doing mm. and god i couldn't work in an environment like that mm. i mean i know people find it hard sometimes to get started at home yeah I and mean, you always hear this is like, oh man you know I get up in the morning and i make a cup of tea and put the tv on and watch breakfast news and <laughs> they find it really hard to kind of get into gear um I don't seem to have that problem. I don't know about you. Yeah, it took me a long time to get into it because I was, because I come straight out of school. I wasn't really used to having that kind of, I, I, I was quite disciplined, but you know, when it, when you get a full day to where you, you have to work on something, I was very kind of scatterbrained. I'd keep popping downstairs. People keep knocking on my door and, um, I started being really strict about it and saying, right, I'm working you know, these hours. Cause I used to, I used to kind of work late into the night. I, I'd try and work in the morning, find that I wasn't doing anything and then kind of panic later in the day when I hadn't done anything and end up working really late. And it just, it, it just wears you down. Mm. Um, so I ended up being just really strict about it. it. Took, it took a few months. Um, but in the end I was, I was just able to, to concentrate a lot better. 
and I'd force myself out of bed. That's, I think that's quite difficult to get used to was when you're working from home and your own, your own boss is getting out of bed. And the only thing that kind of got me doing that was, right, I've got to work on this project right now. Otherwise, um, I'm going to be working late and then I'm kind of not going to be able to enjoy my evening. Mm. I mean, I've found it actually, I mean, I've never had a problem getting out of bed particularly, but, mm. you know, not when there's work to be done. But, you know, sometimes I might kind of just drift around for a couple of hours in the morning while I wake up. And since we've had Sue, the new designer, working here, she comes in three days a week. Yeah, that forces you to be up and dressed and ready to do things at nine o'clock. Yeah. And, you know, it's on a Friday when she's not in. Sometimes I'll kind of, you know, I'll have a lay-in or something. But yeah. I, I just feel like you've got to have a routine. You've got to force yourself to have a routine if you're the type of person who isn't kind of who isn't good at concentrating when you're around your own stuff. I mean, I think people that work from home fall into two camps, really. Uh, some people, the first camp, they find it really hard to be productive the whole time. Mm. I mean, there's one one guy that, that we both know um, who works remotely for an organisation, certainly most of the week, um, but he can't work at home. So he goes out and sits in cafes yeah. you know, all day because getting out of the house kind of then seems that it makes it look like his work. Yeah, like and then work. when you get home, it's your home. Yeah, and that kind of separation, which is obviously it's important to some people. Um, I think one of the things that a lot of people don't appreciate is, unless you, you know, unless you live on your own, having family, having partners that appreciate that you're working from home and, you know, when you're at home, you're working – you know, certainly within, you know, certain hours or routine or whatever is really, really important. I know that it doesn't work for people where that understanding isn't there. Because, yeah. you know, the, the other person might say, you know, they might, you know, come into the office or can, can you put the bins out? Yeah. And you think, ah, oh, I was just on the verge <laughs> of solving this problem. I don't want to know about dustbins. Yeah. So that's really important. I mean, we've, we took, you know, we've been doing it a long time. Um, we took a while to settle into things, uh, but now, you know, now it works really well because we both understand that you know within certain hours, or you know sometimes out of hours as well, hmm. that you know work is work is work. I used to get a lot of friends who um, would just phone me up and say, "Hey, do you want to go out shopping?" And I'd be like, "Oh no, I'm I'm at work," and they'd say, "Oh, I, I thought you work from home," and that's kind of another way of saying I thought you didn't really have a job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, what was interesting was, you know, we we had our business and for a very long time we dealt with local companies, local clients, and they wanna they wanna see you. They wanna come by. Mm. And it's a lot more efficient for them to come to you rather than, you know, you'd have to go out all the time. Yeah. So we would have people coming into the office, well, you know, really regularly. And you know, quite often there'd be people here in the afternoon when Alex came home from school. Mm. Um, and, you know, even if there weren't people here, he would, you know, he'd bowl in from school and, you know, that, obviously that's a big advantage from of working from home is that, you know, you can be around when, you know, when kids come home from school, which is, which is a really good thing. But we had to find, find ways in which he would understand that, Working time was working time yeah. as well. 
because um, you know, obviously they come home really excited from school and they want to show you the piece of work they've done or tell you about their day. Um, and you know, if you if you went out for a job, if you went out to a place of work, that wouldn't happen. Yeah. So we figured out this system. Um, I made this little sign. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't sophisticated, but it was like a little kind of, uh, you know, right angle sign. And I printed it out on card and it had happy on one side and grumpy on the other side. <laughs> and I would sit this just on the corner of my desk so that he'd be able to like poke his head around the door yeah. and see what the sign said. And he'd know that if it said happy, then he could just come in and you know, oh. do whatever he wanted. But if it said grumpy, then that was it. Dad was concentrating. I've heard of people who do things like they shut the office door and they say if the door's shut, then I'm working. And if it's open, you can come in. Yeah, I never like to shut the door, really, unless somebody's watching TV next door. But because it can feel really isolating, you know, when you work on your own. I like to feel isolated sometimes. Well, I know. Uh, I just like to feel kind of enclosed and... I think it's, I like to feel comfortable in the environment. Um, but I, that's one of the reasons why I use Twitter so much in the past mm. was it can be quite lonely often yeah. when you work on your own. Um, and that's something that can take a lot of getting used to, especially if you've worked for a company or you've worked with a group of people and then all of a sudden you find yourself, you know, on your own with Jeremy Kyle all day. <laughs> Yeah, one thing that you do have to consider is, well, just make sure you leave the house every day to just do something like buy some milk, because otherwise you you end up getting cabin fever and going a bit crazy. Well, now the weather's getting a little bit better. We've made the decision that we're going to go for a walk after lunch every yeah. day, just you know, because it's nice around here, and we can walk up to uh, up to the top of the hill, and it takes you know twenty minutes up, twenty minutes down, and it's a really nice walk. Yeah. Um, and we're going to do that every day after lunch. Try and get rid of this paunch as well. <laughs> Cole Henley, um, who we must get on the show at some point because we keep referencing a lot of the stuff that he writes about. Yeah. Uh, he wrote this post two years about freelancing. And uh, there's some good stuff in there again. He says, in my first six months of freelancing, I worked from home. We lived in a quiet remote location and I had a spare room I could use as an office. However, this didn't work out for me. I felt very cut off from other people and I found it really hard to concentrate on work with a young family around. I was never giving either my work or my family my full attention and ended up working crazy hours to compensate. Yeah. Yeah, we've all been there, I think. <laughs> I mean, it is hard often. I mean, I know that I've you know, done this a long time, but I've suffered, I know, from not having people around all the time to bounce ideas off. Mm. You know, just somebody that, that you can say, turn around to and go, what do you think of that? And they go, oh, you need to you need to increase the leading on that type. Yeah. It's been really nice having um, having another designer around recently. I like being to able to just kind of, of tap someone on the shoulder and ask them an opinion, especially if it's a designer. I love working with the designer just because I can just turn around and say, hey, I've, done this is that okay or can you just check this this looks all right i mean we have our uh the way that we work now in our weekly kind of scrum projects um you know we do sprints and we don't do this religiously with every project um but sometimes when we do having that 
10 minutes in the morning where you have the kind of remote stand up. Mm -hmm. That can be quite nice. Yeah, it's really good to, to kind of get a regular time and just sort of meet up with your team on Skype or something. But it does feel a bit isolating when you're just kind of the only one who's not working in-house. Yeah. I mean, I know people use Skype and uh, Google Hangouts. I've never used Google Hangouts, but I know that people use uh, use that for stand-ups oh, as well. I've used it. It never works. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's people that find it really hard to work from home and find it really hard to concentrate and maybe find it quite lonely. And then there's another camp, which I think I fell into for a long time, which is, listen, you just can't stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's like there's work there and you're just going to do it because it's always, it's always next to you. Yeah, I've become quite strict at that, like not replying to client emails after six or taking client phone calls. I had one time where um, I had a client ring me up at kind of 5am or something and I answered and it's just because like, her kid had woken her up and so she decided, right, let's start work now. And so I shouldn't have answered that because I'm, that's sending a signal that it's okay to kind of interrupt me any time of the day to tell me that this needs to be added to the site. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, years ago, we are talking years ago, before before broadband, um, we we got two phone lines that come into the house. One's the business number, and then we've got a separate personal number that we don't tell anybody. Yeah. Um, and back in the day when we were having to use dial-up, uh, I was registering a domain for for some guy, and you know I was I was online, but I was talking to him on my personal number, right? Which of course he then made a made a note of, and then a few months later, I'm sitting there. It's about six o'clock. And I'm sitting there with me, me tea, watching Star Trek, and the office phone went, um, and I just ignored it. I let it run to answer phone, and then a minute later, I heard my mobile ringing in the office, mm-hmm. and I let that one go, and then the next thing is the home phone's going, and I picked up the home phone, you know, knowing that it was going to be whoever it was that was calling, yeah. and this guy was like, "Yeah, I'm having a problem with my Outlook." Oh, I'm like, oh. You know, there are boundaries. Yeah. And you do have to make that clear, I think. I've done, I've made that mistake so many times where I've just, you know, oh, midnight, I'll just reply to this email. And it just sets this signal that I can be disturbed at any time. And that's not good. That's not good for your sanity. No, but then when you think about what Drew and Rachel were talking about, in terms of, you know, yeah. having clients all over the world at different time zones, it's not quite so easy, is it? Yeah, I guess, I guess their case is different because they've got, a product um and yeah time zones i mean i've worked for international clients before where i've I've kind of had to shift the times that i work so i work later in the evening so that i can take um so i can sort of join meetings and things and that's something that you really need to think about when when you're working with international clients is that time difference you know are you okay with being um disturbed sort of later in the day what are you going to do about that are you going to kind of be quite strict about it or are you going to work to their time zone i mean i remember a couple of years ago now i was doing some stuff i think i was prepping for some workshops in australia and i was dealing with the organizers over there at one end of the time zone and i'm dealing with californian clients at the other end of the time (laughs) zone it's like virtually a 24 hour yeah 24 hour job but we got an email here from kev mears he's Mm -hmm. uh mirso on twitter 
And he said, I found that I was going into my study pretty early, being a morning person and was far less prone to distraction than I thought I would be. When all one's colleagues are in the office and you're at home, I think there's a strong impetus to make sure that no one can accuse you of skiving. <laughs> I'm positive that I was much more productive at home. That's interesting, isn't it? I kind of like having to overcompensate, having to yeah. prove that, you know, I suppose if you're a developer, you know, are you doing as many check-ins as, as everybody else or are you yeah. doing more, you know? GitHub's quite a good uh, way of checking that. <laughs> you see when people do commits. I mean, we struggled for a long time. I say we, I mean me, struggled uh, with not being able to stop. Yeah. I mean, really not knowing, not knowing when to stop. And to the point where we have this kind of family joke, which is we don't work from home, we live at work. <laughs> and we did that for you know, a really long time. Uh, you know, I just couldn't stop. I worked on Christmas Day. One day, one week. Yeah, I've, I've done that a couple of times, actually. But I kind of liked it because I wasn't... It's like working on bank holidays. You get it's, you don't get people emailing, you don't get people phoning you. It's really quiet, you know. I don't, I don't like to make a habit of it, but sometimes if I want to get some work done, if I want to kind of get a step ahead, I'll do that. But I, I, I make sure I take another day off later on. Yeah, see, I don't do that because bank holidays really annoy me because they're not a day that I can bill. Really? Yeah, I don't bill bank holidays. You know, if I'm working on a client project, um, for example, you know, and it's a weekly thing, and if they're not there, yeah. then generally, then generally, I don't, I don't, um, I don't bill that day. So I don't really like bank holidays that much. But I have worked on Christmas Day. I remember it was because I used to smoke, mm. and I didn't used to smoke in the house ever, but I used to smoke in the office, which for some stupid reason, although it's the same building, I didn't used to think of as the house. <laughs> so I would come in, you know, Christmas morning and, you know, after presents and stuff, and I'd come in, have a cigarette or two and think, oh, well, I'll just pull up my email and then you might go into <laughs> something else and then you might have a design that you've left on the screen and I'm still fiddling with it. Yeah. And, you know, and a few hours go by and you realise that, hang on a minute, this is Christmas Day, I'm sitting in there working. So... Setting boundaries, I think, is really important. We've This weekly working thing for us has made a huge, huge difference because mm -hmm. it does mean that there's a defined set of things that we have to do that week, a defined set of requirements. And if you know you've hit what you said you were going to do that day, then you don't have to work past, you know, five, six o'clock. Um, and at, on Friday, after we've presented whatever designs or code we've worked on for the week, you can switch everything off and have the weekend. Yeah. Made a massive difference to us, that. Yeah. Oh, I used to be so bad at that. I used to work in, you know, on the weekend and it just drove me nuts. I, I couldn't, I didn't feel like I was ever just taking a break. And now I just don't work. I don't do any work at the weekend unless it's like a personal project or something. Um, I'll come in on a Sunday afternoon and, you know, just try to prepare for the week ahead. And yeah. there might be kind of things in my email, uh, to do list that I need to reply to and things like that. But I try not to work on weekends. Now. I mean, we've been out today, you know, we went out to Anglesey today and it was really, really nice. We had some, you know, lovely lunch and it was just so nice to get out and it's so refreshing, isn't it? Yeah. So something that I wanted to very briefly talk about is um, kind of 
rooms in the house. Um, so I went from um, working in my bedroom um, to working in a living room and I've never been able to like afford somewhere where I can have my own study and I think I'd work so much better if I did have one. Um, so I was wondering like what your opinion was on that. You know, whether you've, whether you've ever had to work in your bedroom. When we first moved here to this house back in 98 and we started the business here, we had, our, our house is what used to be four little quarry workers cottages. Mm. I and mean, you know, one up, one down, it's tiny little things. And we live in three of them. And then there was two smaller rooms on the end. Um, in what used to be um, some kind of outbuildings attached to the house. And uh, we always wanted to turn that into an office, but we had to do a lot of building work on this place, a lot of renovation before we could make that happen. Yeah. So I think for about the first year or so, we just had a desk in the front room Yeah. Uh, behind the couch. And, you know, I can remember it had, you know, my old PC on there and it had one of those great big combo fax machine copier printer type <laughs> things. That was my setup back in the day. And, yeah, we just worked in the front room. I think I've still got some photos somewhere, which I'll try and dig out and scan and show you as to what the place was like then. But we always intended to have a separate working space because it, the way that the house is set up, uh, it's got its own front door to the office. Mm-hmm. So when clients do come, as long as they don't want to use the loo, they don't ever have to come into our personal oh, space. Oh, that makes such a difference. We've got a lovely room downstairs, which has got kind of leather couches and a table there. So if people want to come in and they're spending time here, then they can come in and sit downstairs and, and work. Uh, you know, we've got a couple of Wi-Fi networks so they can log on and do stuff. Yeah. And so you don't, upstairs, you don't feel kind of bad about inviting clients around? It's not... Yeah. No, we don't have as many clients visiting us now as I think we used to, mm-hmm. um, which is okay. The interesting thing is um, having this separate space means yeah. that, you know, we can go to work and we can close the door. And I'm quite keen now, you know, when it gets to kind of evening time and I'm I'm quit, that we'll actually shut the office door. Um, and that makes a big difference. I think if if things are in one room, particularly in, in a bedroom, I don't think I would like that. Yeah, I mean, it it always bothered me a bit um, that I was working in the same room that I was sleeping in because it just, you know, I'd have trouble sleeping because I'd be thinking about work and, um, I'd, you know, when I was working, I was just thinking about, oh, that bed's right there. Might just have a nap. <laughs> and as well as that, um, like when I first started out and I was working from my bedroom, um, I'd often have like clients wanting to come round and, and it would just be very, very awkward. You know, I was like 18 at the time. It's like, um, <laughs> so I'd, I'd be out looking for sort of office space that I could just rent out for a day. Um, I thought about, oh, what if we, you know, look, I was looking around coffee shops that we could go to, just anything that meant that, they didn't have to come round and see this teenager's bedroom. Um, I just think it wouldn't be very professional. 
Well, yeah, I mean, there are practical considerations to this whole thing. We'll talk about those later on. But I think, you know, if you're just you on your own, then you've got one set of challenges. But if it's a family, mm-hmm. then I think there's another set of, another set of challenges as well. I mean, I was thinking about Alex a lot. Um, and what his experience must have been with us working from home for all these years. Cause you mm-hmm. know, like I say, he would come home from school and there'd be strangers in the house. There'd yeah. be clients in the house. And he, he's a good lad. You know, he, he, he learned how to behave in front of people because he knew that this was like a professional thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and you know, it, him being, able to you know just come into the office and, and meet people um and see what was going on that was really good i think yeah. i well i think it was was really good we, we used to have some rules i mean not just rules for him but rules for us as well um we would never do a project that we didn't want him to see so if he walked around the corner and looked at what was on screen we had to be totally comfortable with him looking at it yeah so no porn, obviously. Um, I remember he, he's a very, very strict vegetarian. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting a, uh, a proposal from um, one of the estates out on Anglesey where Japanese tourists often come in and shoot the hell out of pheasants. Right. It's a big hunting thing, you know, and I, they sent me brochures and I looked at this thing and it was like pheasant Armageddon. <laughs> Yeah, you've got sheds just lined with hanging dead poultry. Mm. And I thought, you know what? He'd be really upset if he saw that. Yeah. So we had, we had those rules. Um, as well as, you know, him having rules about what he did. But I asked him actually, um, when we were going to talk about this topic, I actually, I sent him a text. He sent me one back here because I wanted to know, you know, what was it like for him? Yeah. What's it like for him? to come home and find, you know, all these people that's working from home. And uh, I'll read you what he said, actually, because this is really interesting. He's a very kind of insightful guy. He said, well, I said to him, we're talking about working from home on the show this week. What were your recollections, good and bad? And he said, it's given me a very good work ethic. Now that I know. I mean, I've never seen anybody work as hard as he does. (laughs) I'm used to being in a working environment. It did get me very good to meet and get used to talking to adults when I was a child. Yeah. That was good. I mean, we, we's very comfortable in, you know, in, in company. And I think that this led me to being quite mature. If I had to say something bad, I'd say I haven't got much of a concept of working for defined time and right, then yeah. stopping work because I was murder for that. I would just work all the time. <laughs> And he said, here, this is the bit I liked. He said, and I can't imagine having a normal job because I've got no experience of it. Yeah. Wow. I just, I never thought about that. I was thinking, God, you know, he might have to go to an office one day, you know, or go to (laughs) a lab or something and be there all the time. Oh, never really thought about that. Yeah. Let's talk about our second sponsor. This is the Beyond Telerand conference. It's a conference and workshop event for the web community, and it's curated by Mark Teal. This year's event is in May. That's May 27th to the 29th in the wonderful city of Dusseldorf in Germany. Have you met Mark? Yeah, um, he takes really nice uh, conference photos. He does, and he's also one of the best conference organisers I know. And 
Every single thing about the Beyond Telerand event is, it's got his personal style applied to it. Even the speakers, it's like he chooses people that he'd like to hear speak and then he invites an audience to listen in with him. <laughs> so this year's event, the speakers include Josh Brewer. He's the principal designer at Twitter. I saw mm -hmm. him speak last year at Smashing Conference and he was really inspiring. Then there's Mandy Brown. She's co-founder and CEO of Editorially. There's Blaine Cook, Aaron Gustafson, our friend Elliot J. Stocks, James Victory, and Brad Frost as well. I love Brad Frost. <laughs> there are six more speakers to be announced too. Um, that's going to be announced soon. Everything I read about Beyond Teleron makes me want to attend. Um, even Chris Schiffler, he's one of the folk behind uh, the Brooklyn Beta Conference. He said, Beyond Teleron is a conference full of love. The organizer's hospitality is inspiring, and he packs a lot of content into those two days. Well, I'll tell you what, Chris knows a thing or two about good conferences. Beyond Telerand is happening in Dusseldorf in Germany. That's May 27th to the 29th, and tickets are available now for only €249. Euro. So to find out more and book your ticket, go to bynd.it slash unfinishedbz. And if you want 10% off the standard price, use the offer code unfinished1. That's a good deal. That is. That's beyond tolerant. So there are some practical things about working from home that we have to consider as well. You were touching on this a minute ago. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really, really important that you have a partner or family that, that support you. And I know from experience, it's got to be a choice that everybody in the house agrees with. It doesn't work otherwise. You, know, you can't just have one person going, I'm working now when all yeah. the commotion is carrying on. Maybe that was Cole's problem. It is quite distracting having someone else in the house who's who's not working, say, watching TV or something, and you're trying to work, and it's like, mm, what's happening on TV? <laughs> yeah. And we didn't really have that so much. I suppose it's because we had that separate space. Mm. Yeah, definitely that helps. And... As we said before, if you run a business from home and you've got clients visiting, um, that brings a whole different set of challenges because, <laughs> you know, the house has got to be presentable, for one thing, um, and you've got to clean the loo. <laughs> I mean, not that the loo is generally not clean. It's clean when a client comes. Um, but, you know, you have to make a special effort. Yeah. Because, you know, your house and everything, it says a lot about, you know, about you. Um and, you know, I remember when Alex was ill and off school and, you know, he'd be laying on the couch with a blanket watching cartoons mm. and, you know, the client wanted to use the loo and, you know, he's walking past Alex on the couch. <laughs> so that that makes a difference. And mugs. If, you, if you're going to meet a client, have you got different mugs? <laughs> Do you have, like, personal mugs and, and, and work mugs? Oh, what, me personally? Yeah. Would no, do I, don't, I, don't, I never have clients around now. Would you have? Would you do that? Though? Would you oh, have definitely, like... yeah. I'd have like number one client written on it. <laughs> but there's, there's all these things that you've got to think about too. I tell you what, the other thing is insurance. Oh yeah. We've got a really, really nasty steep set of stairs up to this top office, 
Um, so, you know, we just don't want people to fall down there and break their neck and then sue us <laughs> for slipping on the stairs. It does, it, all these kind of practical things. Oh, and as well as that, um, do you, uh, like register with the councillors as having a business? No, we've never done that. Um, you're talking about the whole business rates thing. Yeah. No, never. Um, for the reason I think, and oh God, oh God, this was years ago. I think that if you do that, there's an issue or could be an issue with capital gains tax if you ever mm -hmm. go and sell the house. So we don't claim anything at all for using the office at home. Not a single thing. Mm. Not electricity, not um, anything. I mean, if it's got a different bill, like, you know, the phone bill, then then that's separate. But we don't do, we don't claim anything. Yeah. I suppose we could, but no. Cole Henley has a good, um, I need to put the link in the show notes. Uh, it's like a calculator for working out how much, um, how much rent you can claim and electricity, that sort of thing, based on your percentage of usage for a business expense. Yeah, I need to look at that because you know, we've never done it. We've never, ever done it. You can end up, um, claiming quite a bit i mean i talked to my accountant about this and um in, because so basically if, if you work in a in your own study if you have like a room that is dedicated to um to your office work then you can claim more than if you say um move your desk into your bedroom right. it's, it's kind of weird like that um the reason is because you're basically um, let's say you are a couple with one kid and you have like a, um, a three bedroom house and you use one of those rooms as a study. You can claim part of your rent because you can say, well, if I didn't, if I weren't freelance, if I worked for a company, then I would move to a two bedroom place and pay less rent. Um, that's how he explained it to me anyway. Right. Now our accountant has never, never mentioned anything like that. So, as I say, we we don't claim anything off the company for the rooms that we use. Yeah, you should definitely talk to them about that because um, you can end up um, claiming quite a bit. You can claim kind of a percentage of your rent, um, a percentage of your electricity bill and your uh, phone bill if you use that for broadband. Um, it's worth kind of having a chat with your accountant about it because, yeah, it, it, it can save you quite a bit of money. Hmm. Actually, come to think of it, I don't think our broadband is a business broadband package. I think it's just just another. We've got two broadbands coming in. I think they're both just personal ones. Mm. I need to look at that. But this having an office has done well for us. Uh, you know, having a separate space. I don't know how things would have been if we'd have just been working around the kitchen table. Yeah. Um, I don't know how it would have been for me because... I have to have my little kind of, I don't know, man cave. <laughs> and you've seen the pictures. You know, I've got my ape posters on the wall and I've got my action figures all around. Mm. So. You need that I, kind of separation. Mm. And it's always been my space, even though both of us work in here. Yeah. It's always been my space. I um, got a good tip from someone who, um, someone else who, who didn't have their own study and was explaining how they get that separation 
even though they're kind of working in the same room like there's their kitchen um they said to put on a pair of like business shoes you know like those really uncomfortable ones as soon as you start working and then as soon as you finish you take them off it's just something to kind of i used to have a hat which i called my thinking hat which i used to wear when i was working um because it, it helped me like get into that zone you know i'm and it's like if you oh there was a really good list apart article about um kind of like zones where if you start if you do a bit of work on the couch then you suddenly start associating your work that you're doing on the couch with you know watching tv and it kind of makes things blur and you you find it harder to concentrate whereas if you just work in the same place like at the same time every day you get that kind of rigidity you get um that focus that you might not get if you suddenly decide oh i'm gonna just work on the couch for a bit depends on what i'm doing i think and i can't write on my imac at my desk yeah even if i have to write you know a blog post i have to go and pick up the laptop and go and sit in the comfy chair in the corner i mean not yeah. in the house but you know we've got like a comfy chair in the corner and i go and sit in that and, and work on that but i don't have a pair of shoes or a hat <laughs> to to get me kind of into working because I don't know, I just never needed it, I suppose. Sometimes I put my headphones on um, just because it kind of, it muffles sound a bit. And I don't play any music, but I just have them on as a kind of, it just helps me concentrate for some reason. Mm. I mean, whatever works for you, really. i tell you one thing that, that we've found because um, you know, we've, we've done well over the years I mean it's just been us for the most part um, and we thought about having staff you know we thought about taking people on and I think working from home has limited our ability to expand as a company yeah um, and I know people will say, yeah, but people don't have to come into work anymore. You know, they can be remote and, you know, you can be a distributed company like automatic, <laughs> um, you know, and the whole Branson thing about people, you know, working where they feel comfortable. But to me, at least I want, I want people to come in, yeah. you know, at least some of the time, you know, just so that, especially, you know, recently when we, we hired Sue, the new designer and, um, you know, we needed to be together for a, a few weeks just so that she could understand how we work and how different it is to the place that she worked before. Yeah. And we were really, really lucky because, you know, if you work from home and somebody's coming to your house, then it's got to be the right person. Yeah. And, you know, we really lucked out with her because, you know, we've known her for years, but and we feel really comfortable about her being in the house. Yeah, I know that Sarah does that as well. Uh, Sarah Parmenter, she has um, she has an employee who comes in to to her study, and you know that that's her house. So people people do do it. Mm. I mean, we've we were really lucky with Sue because we knew her and we felt comfortable, and you know I don't mind her being in house. You know, if I needed to go out for a meeting and she was the only one here, I'd leave her in my house. Yeah, that would be. I think I don't know whether I'd feel as comfortable if we just hired somebody that we didn't really know. Yeah. Um, and I think that's limited us over the years in terms of, you know, if we wanted to hire somebody when we got busy thinking, oh, well, yeah, but they've got to come into the house. And, and do you feel comfortable kind of listing your your home address as your business address? 
Well, I've not had a problem with it so far, but we have become a little more conscious of it recently. Mm. Um, I'm a big believer in putting your phone number on a website. Yeah. Drives me nuts. You know what? I I took your advice and I did that once and then I immediately regretted it. Really? Yeah. I was getting all sorts of dodgy phone calls and I was like, Oh, it drives me nuts when people, I want to get in touch with somebody and there's not a phone number, phone number on the website. This yeah. is a contact form. It drives me nuts. I mean, just go into, you know, the mobile phone shop and buy the cheapest pay as you go mobile. Yeah. And yeah, list I've done that. that before. And, you know, don't, you don't have to list your, you know, your proper iPhone or Android phone, your, your personal phone. Just have something that people can call because, you know, old people like me often like to pick up the phone <laughs> and talk to you. And if the only way that I can find a phone number is looking at your who is records, you know, that's, yeah. that's a bit stalkerish. I don't like doing that. I really didn't like doing that. I mean, I thought it was a really good idea, but then I, I just, I got so many, like all of the phone calls that I got were just not appropriate kind of in terms of work. It was just, all people just wanted to chat and it was like, I'm right in the middle of working and I don't want to be disturbed. And, yeah. um, it but- was, you know, I could, I could probably do it. Say I just kept it off all the time and I just use it as a kind of voicemail thing and I use it kind of as a filter. You know, if people really want me, then they'll find, they'll, they'll leave a message and I can find them back. Um, but I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's kind of. No, I know, I know people find it difficult. I mean, we're quite lucky here, I suppose, in the way that things are set up. And I've not had a problem so far with having the address listed. Yeah. Um, and I think that it adds a little bit of credibility. The yeah. fact that, you know, we have an address there, um, that isn't just some kind of PO box or no address at all. So, you know, you can find out that we're a real company and, you know, we're registered here and, you know, what our address and phone number is, that kind of thing. I think that. That does reassure a lot of people that even though you're working from home, you're still a professional outfit. Yeah. I don't think I could do that because I'm not the only one who lives here, you know. I just feel uncomfortable everyone knowing my home address. Yeah, and I think in your situation it would be it would be different. Yeah. Um, as I say, we've never had a problem with it so far, but recently we've become a little bit more aware that you know we might want to have a bit more separation between what's work and what's personal um so we might be withdrawing a little bit more about a little bit more on that yeah we should probably wrap up we should button it up yeah so you can email me at he has unfinished.bz and anna at she has unfinished.bz or you can email both of us at they have at unfinishedbz. And you can find all the links we mentioned in this episode in the show notes. That's unfinished.bz slash eight. That's the number eight. And to ask us questions and suggest topics, message us on Twitter at unfinishedbz. And if you stay with us a little bit longer, we're going to be reviewing um, Kill Bill, Volume 1. So thanks again to our fantastic sponsors this week, Typecast and Beyond Teleland. With Typecast, you can quickly style type in the browser and check for readability, rendering and beauty as you work. Find out more about Typecast at typecast.com forward slash unfinished. And Beyond Teleland is a conference and workshop event for the web community. Beyond Teleland is happening May 27th to the 29th in Dusseldorf in Germany.
See you next week. See you next week. <laughs> I see now we can talk about Kill Bill. <laughs> oh, I watched it last night. We watched it last night. Sue watched it from under the covers. <laughs> she had a blanket that she was... It is quite violent. Well, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I said to her at the end, um, what did you think of it? And she went, well, I can vouch for the squishy sound effects. <laughs> the thing l- is, the thing is, with that, with that kind of violence, I mean, you, you get things like people's heads being chopped off, people's arms being chopped off. But I didn't think it was gory. I thought it was almost kind of, almost comic because mm. just the way that the blood is just like spurting out, you just never get that much blood. I mean, well, I, I don't know. I've never chopped someone's arm off, but just the way it was. <laughs> it was funny. I tell you what we should do before we talk about the, the movie itself mm-hmm. is <laughs> just talk about how, because this is, it's been annoying me all week. I've got to say, you know, you and I don't fall out very often, but we nearly fell out this week <laughs> because we decided that we were going to watch Tarantino movies. Yeah. That was going to be our thing for a while. And then we spent about an hour on the phone trying to decide what order to watch them in. And I cannot believe this is, Kill Bill Volume 1, it's Tarantino's fourth movie, and you wanted to start here and not start at the beginning. I mean, why, why, why don't you want to start with Reservoir Dogs? It makes no sense. Well, I don't know. I just really, really wanted to see Kill Bill. <laughs> I've seen it before, and it just I really enjoyed it. And You've it's... seen it more than once, though, because they... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I know, you've got to admit to this. Come on, own up. It's not my fault, okay? <laughs> I this is many years ago. I um I ordered Kill Bill Volume One uh from Love Film to rent and I watched it and I thought, Oh, that's a good film. I should watch volume two and so I sent it back and they sent me what I thought was volume two, but it was actually volume one again <laughs> and I watched it all the way through and I thought <laughs> This looks very familiar. Maybe there's some kind of trick. I mean, this is a Tarantino film, and I know he likes to play tricks on people, but I couldn't work out. And because it had been quite a while since I'd seen that, like it the first time, I thought maybe my memory was just like really bad. Um, you watched the same film twice. Yeah, and I, and I thought then I thought, oh, maybe maybe it's just volume one. Maybe there isn't a volume two. Maybe it's kind of. I don't know, just some weird thing that he just calls it volume one. <laughs> and I also thought um, that it, because, oh, maybe it was volume two I saw twice. Because I remember, f- or I w- watched them in the wrong order or something. Because <laughs> um, I just couldn't work out what was going on. <laughs> but then I saw them both and it made sense. Oh, God, that's so funny. Because it was going to be one film. That was the thing. It was, it was going to be one film. It was just going to be Kill Bill. Right. And then I think it was Harvey Weinstein, the Miramax producer. Yeah. Uh, he had this thing where, you know, films couldn't be longer than a certain duration. Um, and Kill Bill was going to be like way over four hours. So they decided to split it into two and it came out in like, you know, a couple of months apart. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was going to be what, one. What film, year did it come out? I can't remember. Uh, if I got it, if I look in iTunes, is that going to tell me? Actually, just Wikipedia, really, shouldn't I? 
So 2003, 2004, Kill Bill Volumes 1. Yeah, because I was, I was too young to watch it when it came out. So I didn't see it until many years later. I saw it only a couple of years ago, actually. I'd missed it completely. And apart from, yeah, I've only, I've only seen it once before we watched it again last night. And Sue's never seen it. Mm. We saw Django the other day in the cinema and she really likes Tarantino movies. Yeah. Um, because of that whole kind of, um, stylized graphic violence thing. Yeah. You know, you can appreciate, I think even if you don't like the films or you don't, you know, you don't care about the story, I think you can appreciate Tarantino. Yeah, definitely. Um, because yeah. every single thing that you see on the screen is meant to be there. There's no accidents with that guy. Yeah. I always think that, I mean, I'm not a great fan of rap music, but I really like Eminem. Rap music. Rap music. You know, well, I'm, I'm old. You know. <laughs> But I really like Eminem because to me, you know, Eminem's like a poet. You know, every word is mm. is is where it should be, and Tarantino's the same. Love it. Um, I I did. Um, I took media studies for GCSE, and I feel like I should know a lot more about films than I do. I can I can analyze them really well, but when it comes to naming people, like naming actors or directors, I just don't have a clue. Mm. I mean, this is the thing about Kill Bill, because when we watched it, first thing I did was to you know, open up Wikipedia and see where Yeah, I even wrote down all their names so that I, I'm anything. not like, the, the the one with the hair. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it, the fact that Tarantino references so many kind of other genres in his stuff. I mean, mm. I was reading about Hong Kong martial arts films and Japanese Chanbra films and spaghetti westerns. Well, I know what a spaghetti western is because, you know, we like spaghetti westerns. <laughs> but, you know, all those other kind of genres of movies, I wouldn't have the first clue. Mm. So I appreciate the Kill Bill for what it was, and I, and I didn't know about any of the references. Yeah. Well, apart Did from the Klingon the, one. The Klingon one? Yeah, at the very beginning it says, revenge is a dish best served cold, an old Klingon proverb. Oh, <laughs> I didn't like, know that. <laughs> right at the very beginning, yeah, because that's, yeah, Klingons say that kind of stuff. Did you hear them say... Um, unfinished, unfinished business. Unfinished business. Yeah. yeah no, Uma I got so excited. No, it was good. I mean, it was a Tarantino movie, and I think if you like Tarantino movies, then you're going to like this one. I liked it a lot. You know, I could see some things that I could I could see from other movies. You see that the um, the bit where he walks past a um, or somebody walks past Uma Thurman walks past a uh, a billboard with red apple cigarettes in it. Oh, I didn't see that bit. Yeah, and well spotted. Um, Bruce Willis has a pack of red apples in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> I've never smoked a red apple, actually. Never smoked a red apple. I wrote that I like the whoop whoop music. Yeah, yeah, the music's great. Oh, it's so good. All Tarantino films have great soundtracks. I mean, Pulp Fiction, especially. I've got. I would sit and put the Pulp Fiction soundtrack on and just listen to it. I also made a note that the Bang Bang song um, has a better remixed version. We should maybe put a link to the iTunes version if you can find that. Yeah, if it's on iTunes or something. What about that bit where I think it was in Chapter Three where it goes into animation? That I love. I mean, I really love kind of 
anime and it was oh, I just I, I really I really like that bit because you mean, don't expect it well no it's, it's in the title um, title bit as well DVD titles because you've got that kid that's oh no I'll spoil it for anybody but you know you've you got the, the, the kid that's hiding under the bed Mm. And I don't know whether it was a mother or sister or something that was the mother that was on top. And, you know, obviously the mother gets killed on top of the bed and the kid's hiding underneath it. And, yeah. You know, the blood's kind of seeping through the mattress. I don't know whether they could have got away with that if it hadn't have been animated. Yeah, yeah. Because if they'd have done that live action, it would have been quite gruesome, really. And they got the blood so good. <laughs> yeah. And then there's the black and white part of the fight scene later on. Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, it's complete. There's no music. It's just fighting. And about halfway through the fight scene, um, so it, go- it goes black and white. And about halfway through, uh, music kicks in. And then and then um, they sort of they start fighting in this room that's really dark, and all you can see are kind of it's just this blue background and these um, silhouettes. And then you see um, the bride, she blinks, and uh, it's all in colour again. Yeah. That blue and black part was really good. But I'll tell you yeah. what I did notice was that the black and white part that went before it had this kind of strange infrared quality to it. Yeah. So the blood spurt, it was a bit like, um, you know, Sin City? Yeah. Where... In some of those kind of black and white bits, um, you can see yellow. And yeah, and it was everything. It has a kind of luminosity to it, like the comic. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, absolutely. We need to watch Sin City at some point. I think we probably might even want to watch Sin City as part of the Tarantino series because mm. he did direct that scene in the car. So something I learned um, doing media is that with when you when you shoot black and white. And you have blood. Um, this is something that they did in Psycho. They, um, they, they didn't use red, um, because it didn't look realistic as blood. They used like a completely different color and it didn't matter because it was a black and white film. Mm. Well, maybe that's what it was that gave it that kind of glow in the dark, splashy quality. Oh, but the, the bits when there were sort of bodies falling into that, um, like a kind of pool mm. and the, and the pool was just bright red that was sick the bit where um oren ishi gets her head the top of her head cut off oh and she says um uh that really was a hattori hanso sword <laughs> <laughs> oh man it's it's so good i mean i don't know if there's any kind of real just way to justify the violence um, but you can't help laugh in some places. Yeah. It's like that scene in Pulp Fiction where they blow the guy's head off in the car. <laughs> and it's hysterical. It's, oh man, you shot Marvin in the face. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, how, I don't really know how Tarantino gets away with this kind of stuff. Yeah. I made a few notes on things that I found a bit weird that kind of, that, that, not spoilt it for me, but um, just things like uh, so. So the bride, she um, she's carrying a samurai sword in hand luggage on the plane. Yeah, I know. We saw that. They must and, be able to do that on Japanese airlines. Yeah, it's like no one's even. And then on the plane, 
she's writing her kill list like in just massive letters like kill list and i'm just thinking surely if you're like a flight attendant and you walk past and you saw that you'd be like hmm hmm hmm. oh and while she's writing her kill list she uses two different colored pens yeah and i just think that attention to detail like right i've got to make it look pretty but she walks in to that um club i suppose Mm. Um, in a yellow motorcycle. Oh yeah, she, no, in a yellow jacket, and then she goes into the the toilets to change, and she takes off her yellow jacket to reveal another yellow jacket. Yeah, it's like she she wasn't inconspicuous at all in that <laughs> club. <laughs> that the the thing with um, Tarantino does really long, sort of really long takes, where it's like there's just no cut at all, and that bit where she's getting changed is one of those really long scenes where it's just kind of the camera just just keeps tracking and it it doesn't stop and you just I I just love to know how they do that. Mm. I think my favourite fight scene though it's not the one in the club, it's not the one with the crazy eighty eight. It's the one at the very beginning. Oh, the bit with in the in the house. In the house, yeah, I really like that fight scene. Especially when the kid comes home. <laughs> um, and there's a certain amount of kind of like, you know, cause the mother's dead and. Yeah. And your you mother know, had she it said, coming. Yeah, I know. And it's like, you know, <laughs> if you feel, still feel bad about this in 20 years or something, you know, I'll be waiting. Yeah. Um, that was, you know, out of everything that happens in the film, but after all the violence and all the heads and arms and, you know, blood spurts and everything else, I think that bit was the most chilling part of the whole thing. Yeah, and it, I, I guess, because they put it right at the start, they put it right before they kind of explain what's going on, and that's really to, to make you go, whoa, what, what has she done that's so bad that that she's kind of killing this woman in front of her kid? Yeah. That was the bit that got me. The the other thing is um when she's talking um to um to the lady uh, I think she's called Copperhead um she her, the bride's name gets beeped out yeah I why do they do that I maybe maybe uh, it's just been so long since I watched the second one maybe they explain it in that I'm sure they're gonna because I know yeah I noticed that but it's clever how they do it. I think Uma Thurman did the whole kind of square thing as well. Did you notice that? Where she kind of draws a square in the air. Oh, right. Which is she does in Pulp Fiction as well. <laughs> I, like, I, I really like those little references. Yeah. So are we going to watch Volume 2 next week or do you want to watch Volume 1 again? <laughs> well, we'll watch Volume 2, <laughs> but I'll accidentally watch Volume 1. And then I'll watch volume two. Okay, so volume one is the yellow one, right? It's the yellow yeah. one. Yeah, but it's got red on it as well. Yeah, but it, the whole, not the whole thing though. It's predominantly yellow. <laughs> and then volume two is the red one. So are we going to watch, we'll watch the red one next week? Yeah, let's do that.